Well, good morning. It is so delightful to be able to spend the morning together. I remember when I was a child, probably my elementary school years, especially I remember my early elementary school years, it was probably at least every other Sunday that in our house, my dad would either on the way home from church or about lunchtime would make a declaration. And the declaration would be this, uh, we all need to take a nap today. And I remember sitting there the way I was as a boy, a bit active, and going, that's really interesting because the I part of the we thing, I'm not feeling that, Dad. Uh, But I didn't say that because Dad kind of was Dad. And uh, we all took a nap. And actually, generally afterwards, I was pretty glad about it. Uh, Well, uh, on this Sunday, I would kind of like to take a little bit of dadness here and uh, say that uh, uh, I would like for us, I think that we all need a going vertical together communion focus Sunday today. And so that's what we're going to do. I'll just even say personally, I just need some celebration time. I just need to celebrate vertical time. And I really need to just celebrate the vertical with you time today. So that's what we're going to do. Okay? Communion is all about celebrating. It's all about celebrating the vertical. And it's all about celebrating the vertical in the together. Grab your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Let me give you some context here in Exodus chapter 12. The Hebrews have now been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. How many years? 400 years. That's a long time. They've been slaves now for some 400 years. Moses has come on the scene. He's in Egypt now as about an 80-year-old man. He has given nine plagues, and now he's just actually, prior to chapter 12, given the tenth plague, the, the pinnacle plague, the heaviest plague, the, the God is going to take the firstborn's life plague. And we come to this passage in Exodus chapter 12, and let me begin by starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. I want for you to understand it. God is literally resetting the calendar for the Jewish people in this aspect because there are two calendars, but he's resetting this calendar as this event that is about to take place is the start of the new calendar. It's a big deal. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Verse 3. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count of the lamb. 
Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male. A year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month. In other words, they would take this one lamb. They would set it aside in a pen by itself for about four days for the purpose of watching it. Generally, the kids were playing with this cute little young lamb all set aside because it was their best lamb. And over those days actually would likely get closer to it. Verse 6, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel, do you see twice now that's been said? This is an assembly thing. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight, at midnight. Imagine that. By the way, do you know that there were over some 2 million people? If you were just to say one lamb per 10, That's actually maybe being a bit generous, but somewhere around there, that's 200,000 lambs being killed all at the same time. Now, the Livisays in the woods just came back from Haiti, and one of the things that they had talked about was how different it is when you actually live so close by people and you can actually hear life one another across. You hear the roosters, you hear people talking, you see, hear everything that's going on. That was much more the setting in this day. And I just want for you to know, friends, when those lambs were killed, 200, a quarter million of them, all at a similar time, you're hearing it throughout the land. This was an incredible evening. Verse 7, Then they shall take some of the blood of the lamb and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. (laughs) Let me just pause here because I think there's some understandable questions that come out of this passage. Let me just list for you like 17. (laughs) Why sacrifice a lamb? Back in that day, why a lamb? Why not an ox? Why not a fish? Why not sacrifice a fruit? Why not sacrifice a tree? Why a lamb? You see, we have a hard time getting out of the context of what we understand today back versus back then. Why a lamb? Why sacrifice a lamb without any blemish? Why a male? Why one year old? And why the blood? Ew. Why paint it on the door frame? Why roast the lamb? Why eat only unleavened bread? Why eat the meal with bitter herbs? Why not eat any of it raw? Why can't I boil it? Why do I have to roast it with its heads, its legs, and its inner parts on? Why can't I let any remain until morning? Why do I have to burn what's remaining? Why eat with my belt fastened? Why eat with my sandals on? Why eat with a staff in my hand? That's kind of inconvenient. Why do I have to eat it in haste? Why, why, why? 
Let's look at the end of verse 11. It is the Lord's Passover. That's why. You see, this is the Lord's Passover. And because it's the Lord's Passover, he can do whatever he wants. And so in this, he sets out this whole thing that, frankly, we'll see later on. These folks, even at the time, don't fully understand the fullness of what's happening. That Those of you who are in the Bible base camp on Wednesday nights with us, this is what we were talking about this last week. Well, let's pick up verse 12. Uh, This vertical event, the Lord's Passover, verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man, and did you know this, and beast. Did you know that? That even the firstborn of the ox. Interesting. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see it, when I see it, when the Lord sees it, sees the blood, he will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt, this day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a what? As a feast. Verse 15. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats leaven was a symbol of sin in that day. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day. That person shall cut shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly. And on the seventh day, in other words, at the beginning and at the end, you shall hold a holy, a set-apart assembly, a special assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth month of the month, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. Just a couple notes here. Verse 6, a holy assembly. Stated in verses 16 as well. A memorial, verse 14. It's the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel. It's a memorial day. But also verse 14 and other places it's stated it's a feast. A feast to the Lord. Remember that. And it's to be done throughout all generations. By the way, this is a feast that's been waiting for 400 years. When you've been in slavery generation after generation after generation for some 400 years, it's uh, kind of all building up to a a party. 
I mean, you would just think that 400 years of being a slave and all your, everyone you've known and heard about from the past being slaves, and finally you're coming to a place where it's all ending, that's called a massive national celebration. It's a feast. It's a celebration of celebrations. And I love this part. God demands it to be so. God loves partying too. Verse 21, then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning for the Lord will pass away through to strike the Egyptians. And when he does the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? In other words, in generations ahead, you shall see, say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. It all comes back to this event. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, Egyptians, but spared our houses. Now, I would say the people here at this point really have three choices. One, they could reject the whole thing and go, you know, that's not for us. I don't buy into it. I don't want to do it. Another is they have the choice they could uh, slack on it. They could kind of go, okay, we'll do the whole religious deal. But in the night, this has got to be such an awesome event. What I'd really like to do is kind of go out of the area. We'll do the paint thing and all that and the blam and we'll do all that. But then we're going to go out. We're going to kind of go on the foothills and we're going to overlook the area so we can see this whole event happening. And they pull themselves out and they don't do it the way God had said. Or a third is they actually do it. They apply it. They sacrifice the lamb. They apply the blood. And listen, and in faith, place themselves under their house with the blood on the door. Friends, think about that night. You've sacrificed the lamb. You've had the meal. You've painted the blood on the doorposts. And you get your family, you get your friends, or maybe you're combined with the family, and you all hunker down under this house at night, and you can't go out. But daddy, I got to go to the bathroom. You can't go out. And in an area like this, as the Lord begins to pass over, You're going to hear sounds. And if it were me, I would want to run out and see what's going on. But by faith, you place yourselves under this home with the blood painted on the doorway. And the whole evening, all night long, is an entire Night of living by faith. Oh, God, spare us. Can you imagine being there? Man, I sure hope this works, Bob. Hey, honey, 
are you sure? Did we get enough blood? Did, did we do it just? And then as God passes over and the noises begin taking place and so forth over the land, exactly how it happened, I don't know. But then as the noises are taking place and your family's intact because you've placed yourself under the blood by faith, and the morning comes, and you're like, yeah. Yeah. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Verse 28, then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Oh, my from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. For there was not a house where someone was not dead. Oh my. Passover. A holy assembly of God's people celebrating in faith the covering work of the sacrifice, the Lamb. This was a together celebration, it was about living life together in the vertical. Hey, Lord, I just want to take a moment in the grandness of this event. And uh, just thank you for the grandness of that event of Passover. I mean, what an incredible image you laid out that night. What an incredible image setting up of the reality of what's to come. Of your working with these folks at that period of time. Oh God, thank you that in your grace, you allowed them to have faith. Thank you for their having participated by faith and come out of it seeing you big and covering them, redeeming them, if you will, saving them from your righteous judgment. Thank you for your covering work, in Christ's name, amen. Some 1,500 years later, John the Forerunner is on the scene. John the Forerunner makes a statement. Jesus walks by and John the forerunner has a few of his disciples with him and he makes this statement. He, in essence, points over to Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hey, friends, that statement, because of Passover and all that took place at Passover, do you see the depth and the richness in that statement? Behold, the Lamb The Lamb of God. The Lamb who will take away the sin of the world. 
Uh, We jump ahead three more years, say, about from there. It's about 30 A.D. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Somewhere in the area of 30 A.D., just round numbers. It's Passover week. Passover week. All of Israel has come together into the land of Israel. They are there, coming so many of them into Jerusalem. Uh, the, the, the triumphal entry has taken place. A number of events have occurred. And in Luke chapter 22, we come up to the celebration of Passover, the start of the new calendar, the pinnacle event for the Jews. Everything is going on. In fact, many of the Jews at this time thought that it was going to be at a Passover time that that's when God would reveal, show, give the Messiah. It's Passover. It's Passover evening. Jesus has already sent the disciples out to get the lamb, to go through the whole process. All of this, it's the Passover meal. Luke chapter 22, verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with them together. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he gave thanks. And he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup. After they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. Jesus here, at this together event with the twelve, gathered together to celebrate the Passover meal, as far as the twelve disciples are concerned. Jesus all of a sudden takes the entire meaning to a whole new place. See, the Passover meal is all about Exodus chapter 12 and following. Jesus now takes that and takes it to a whole new meaning. He talks about how he transforms, in essence, the Passover meal to a new deliverance picture. And the picture is the bread that they're about to eat is symbolizing his own body. The cup that they are drinking from is symbolizing his own blood. Behold, there's the Lamb of God. And here Jesus is taking this to a whole new God's progressive plan. All the way back to Exodus and the Passover. A holy assembly gathered to celebrate the covering work of the Lamb. We jump ahead about 25 years. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's about 25 years from there. We'll just round numbers again. It's about 55 AD. (laughs) Jesus has been crucified. Jesus has given his life. The lamb has been sacrificed. And the lamb has risen from the dead. 
the Lamb is ascended back to heaven. Acts chapter 2 has taken place. The church is now in movement. God is working through the church to the Gentiles. And the early church, I love this, had something that they, it wasn't necessarily a biblical thing they were told to do, but came in to, to do a practice, which we'll call a tradition, that was called, this sounds really like 60s time, it was called the love feast. They had a love feast. You can just see the VW vans and the, it wasn't that kind of a love feast though. But these were periodic planned celebrations where the local church in the areas would just gather together and have a feast. It would be at least an all-day a feast. It was about a feast where they would come together, a local church would come together, and it was about going vertical, and it was about doing that together. It was a time of celebration, and the pinnacle point of the whole event was the last thing at the end of the love feast. At the end of the love feast, they had the Lord's Supper, culminating everything that had come out of the love feast prior to that. It was all building up to that. Understand, this was not a, using quote, love feast, such as sometimes happens as families after a funeral. You know, as families, as we kind of cluster around and you have a meal together and spend the day together and just love on one another. But it wasn't that kind of a tone. It also wasn't the kind of a tone where it was just everybody came together and got silent. And they stayed alone and they kind of stayed internal. And they kind of stayed in a mode where it was about me and Jesus. Uh, this, was, this was a feast. I mean, this was all day. This was a party. And there were some really special things out of it. One of the things that I love is what they would do is everybody would bring something. Now, you have to understand that just like in our world, it may be not quite as much of a difference, but they would have the poor and the, and the more well-to-do. And part of history records about at these love feasts that it, actually part of what happened was those that are more well-to-do would bring some of their very best goods. They would save up for this, this event. And they would bring the very best and the most, not as a food competition. There were no blue ribbons given. It wasn't as a way to show off. It wasn't as a way to try and show how grand they were. It was a way to where it's like, this is a special set-apart assembly of people. This is God's family, and we get to eat together, and those who are poor come to the table. All of us, all equal, all one. And they would just have this massive feast together. And it actually was, part of it was a ministry to those who were especially poor and hurting within the local churches that were there. It was a way of ministering to one another. It was a way to love one another above and over the top. And everybody was equal at this event, at this love feast, spending the whole day together, enjoying each other's company, enjoying each other's food, and just having a blast, all coming to the pinnacle point of the Lord's Supper, celebrating that the only reason all of this can happen is because of the covering work of the lamb that was sacrificed. What a cool event. Well, that was not happening in Corinth. I just want to read through this because uh, I just don't want to be a downer. 
I just want to bring to the table the understanding of how good things can be taken to bad places. And we don't want that to happen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me just pick up in verse 17. Of Paul saying, to, writing to the church in Corinth. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Kind of get the idea? This is bad news coming. <laughs> because when you come together, it is not for the better, but it's actually for the worst. Do you realize, do you see that? Coming together can actually be for the worse. Verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. I'd love to spend time on this next statement another day. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions, or some uh, translations say there must be schisms. Look, you see that? There must be factions among you. (laughs) He's talking to the local church. There must be factions, there must be schisms or divisions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Listen, how do you find out people who are committed to biblical principles in hard times? How do you know who are people who are not committed to biblical truth but are about doing it their own way, straight up, in hard times? But when hard times come, I'll tell you, those people who are founded on biblical truth, that's the time where everybody's supposed to be digging back into Scripture. How do we handle this God's way? That's what Paul's saying. There are times where there are going to be struggles among you, and it's ultimately it can be for the good because God's word can stand up and be known in the people who are committed to that. Verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Get this, they're doing all the functions, but he's saying it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. Verse 21, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not commend you in this. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so he eat the bread and drink the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself verse 30 that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died Woo. but if we judged ourselves truly we would not be judged but when we are judged by the lord we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world so then my brothers when you come together to eat wait for one another If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. Boy, that's kind of a downer passage to move into communion with. I just want to bring to our attention that instead of a holy assembly, it was more like a drunken frat party. 
instead of a set-apart assembly where there was loving one another taking place, it was actually turned out to be a time where the poor were humiliated. Instead of a celebration, there were arguments and disputes. Instead of spiritual enrichment, it was a mockery of the covering work of Christ and a mockery of his church. How sad. Exodus chapter 12. This is a vertical, together, feast celebration. This is a spiritual, deep time of the together reality of what's taking place. We see that with Christ. I mean, my goodness, this is a vertical thing lived out in the horizontal. The horizontal together giving praise in the vertical. We don't want 1 Corinthians 11 to happen, do we? No. This is a celebration time. This is a celebration time. Uh, Communion is a time to be able just to reflect on the goodness of what God has done. His covering work has been made available. Oh my! We don't approach it where it's a it, it's a wimpy thing, it's a weenie thing, it's a it's a just a religious thing that we do. This is deep. This has thousands of years of God history in it. This is culminating all at the wonderful work of the cross and the empty tomb. This is all about giving glory to God and doing it together. This is one of those times when we celebrate communion together that has more together in it than just about anything else because it's just, it's just focusing all laser eyes of our hearts, if you will, on the Lord, but not individually together. It's a celebration time. Oh, I would so love to have a love feast. It's so sad sometimes when we do communion in our world where it's just passed out, done. And I'm, I'm not saying that, that it's wrong. I'm just saying there's a, such a depth of fullness to it that every so often I just got to make sure this is a marvelous, awesome thing. And I wish we were in a facility where we could have a love feast on communion. I don't even know what that would look like. The Lord's Supper is... Deep and beautiful in the imagery, the lamb. The blood. The passing over. Staying down hunkered in faith. Trusting. God, I've placed myself under your blood. You are going to spare your judgment, are you? You said you would. That's faith. And it's celebrating the reality of the provision for that. 